Hello, I'm Maya, you are you, and uh, this is by all means necessary. <laughs> you know who you are, I don't have to tell you who you are, I just have to introduce myself, so you know where you're at, so you know it's Monday, you know it's another episode of what? Oh, the podcast. Who are you and where are you listening from? Imagine if this was a radio program and you could just comment all throughout, wouldn't that be nice? Now, many of you will know the name of this week's serial killer slash hitman, but you might not know a lot of details. Especially if you're the person that focuses on like serial killers that kind of use, you know, their own charm, etc. Or like have something like really weird that they do. Like they keep vaginas in their drawers or, you know, they uh, wear female skin. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of you don't focus on the most brutal of serial killers. The ones where the cases can be divided into parts just because of how nauseous they make you. It's kind of what happened to me. I was like, hey, yeah, this was voted on Twitter. People know what they want. And I've listened to episodes of Richard Kuklinski before. This is gonna be easy. It's gonna be fun. I was nauseous a couple of times while researching for this. So yeah, don't eat during this episode, please. You have been warned, okay? So as I said in the episode one, when I didn't chit-chat at the beginning at all, let's dive straight in. Richard Kuklinski went down for five murders he has done on his own accord. For 40 years, he was a mafia hitman, getting away with some of the most brutal murders. It will only be after killing members of his own gang, and after his favorite method of preservation of bodies was discovered, that he'll finally get caught. We have our crimes, we've got our killer. What was the motive? This is kind of like the longest discovery chapter in the script that I have written so far, just because there was like a build-up and the police force doing proper investigation for about 18 months. They were doing yeah, the operation on him. Because, again, with serial killers, where they lack evidence, they kind of obviously need to catch them on something and then make it stick in court to ensure that they are actually charged and spend some time in prison. Otherwise, it's all fucked and somebody can walk. For Richard, walking meant killing. So we are rolling all the way forward to Richard Kuklinski working for the Mafia, working for the Mafia boss, the Mayo. And obviously, once you work for that many years, you know, kill that many people, you're kind of like roughened up, you don't, well, think about killing or think that you will get caught. So he kind of dropped his guard after decades of killing. As he was collecting a debt for one of the people that owed the Mayo, George Malaban, George actually made a really grave mistake of taking Rich that he would not touch him because George knew where Richard lived. Again, you don't mess with somebody you know kills for a living. Yeah, number one rule of the hitman <laughs> month. So, of course, Richard felt the same, right? You don't threaten his family, he kills George and dumps his body in a barrel. But he is kind of getting sloppy now because, again, he is very cocky at this time. He hasn't been caught for so many years. Unfortunately for him, this body gets discovered because he just basically rolled off the barrel. The barrel opened up and somebody found the body. And this is sort of when he gets questioned first and then his name is kind of kept on the police record for him to be discovered later. He should have been known to be more careful but like in his mind actually it's really sad but like he just wanted to have some friends ever since his childhood it is a pretty sad life but Richard Koklinski for as long as he has lived couldn't call any of these people his friends because they were either partners or they were other hitmen or they were his bosses you know, and then there was his family, so he really, for his whole life, couldn't call anybody a friend. Which, again, not pitying Richard Kuklinski, because you will not pity him after you realize what he has done. But it just goes to explain the connections between him and the people surrounding him. Richard here actually pulled the Maya from late 2000s, when she would just worship anybody who was her friend. Would just be like, yep, th- this person has no flaws, whatever they do is perfect, and then you come to the rough realization that they're not, and then you're like, uh, Uh, fuck you, bitch. 
The difference is being that I wouldn't kill my own fucking friends. I would just uh, leave them behind and be like, yeah, we, we ain't friends no more. Kind of similar, kind of not. So for years now, Richard had sort of a legitimate business, sort of not. So he worked for a shop where people would buy stolen goods. He would kill people and take their cash. And obviously, those people were never, like, connected to the shop because you wouldn't tell people that you're headed to a shop that would sell stolen goods. So, you know, it was kind of like a win-win situation for a really long time for Richie. Now, of course, that luck doesn't last forever. So one of the customers actually spoke up and he said to somebody, hey, I'm going to buy this and this. And he got killed by Richard. And Richard, why he was called the Iceman, was of his method of disposing the bodies. So what he used to do is have these fridges, not fridges, <laughs> not fridges, man, <laughs> and these freezers. Just imagine the fridge it was still smell. God, why am I imagining shit? So have these freezers where he would place the bodies of people that he wouldn't want to be discovered straight away. So basically, he'd freeze the body and then dispose of it a few months or a few years later, and that would basically disguise um, the actual time of death. So the police would find the body and be like, yep, he's just been killed, you know, last night. So, you know, it kind of guaranteed him the ultimate alibi. And now, this time, the word actually spread because he told a shop owner who then told somebody else in the argument, and then the word spread. So it ended up being that in a break-in arrest, one of his gang members just spoke up and said, yeah, actually, um, yeah, the last place that this guy went was Richie's shop. And throughout all of this time, Richard was actually smart enough to know like how his life is going to end. He knew eventually he will either die or be incarcerated. So he just didn't actually want to get arrested in front of his family and bring them shame, which is one really weird aspect to this serial killer life. Like, why do you keep doing what you're doing if you don't want the family to like feel ashamed? There's going to be a lot of what I call how do you just continue living your normal life in this story? And this is one of those moments where I'm like, I just don't understand with what Richard has done, like, your main worry is bringing the shame to your family, like, but then you're living the life of shame. It's just the logic of serial killers, okay? So now people are mentioning his name already twice, so he's been connected to the barrel guy, then somebody has kind of spoken up about his fridge preservation, but the police still doesn't have anything to, like, really tie him. They don't have the body, they don't know where he's keeping this freezer. Freezer. Did I say fridge again? <laughs> Lol. But they kind of are familiar with the name now, enough to like start the investigation. Now, Richard's favorite uh, method of killing, after he met a cyanide supplier, he was called Mr. Softy because he owned an ice cream truck. I mean, out of every fake profession, why would you choose the most innocent one? It, it begs to think, right, that all, do all of the ice cream trucks have some creepy shit on the side, like, oh, they have pots of cyanide. Like, what do you store in all of those compartments, like, where you store ice cream? Also, how do you not accidentally fuck something up and, like, sprinkle some ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> sprinkle some cyanide. <laughs> Want to like a goddamn ice cream and just poison a bunch of kids or like do something dumb like this. It's a fucking liability. Did I just say it begs you to think? Does it? Does it really beg you to think? Don't you just love that expression? It just makes it sound like you're so much more religious than you actually are. Now he is again becoming cockier and he's killing people that can speak up against him. So he kills one cyanide supplier. And now is when another precinct officer actually interviews him and he again gets away with it because they don't have enough to charge him on it. So this is when he actually gets paranoid like many times in his life. But now he's starting to get paranoid of the people around him. So like of his hitman buddies. Because he's like suddenly, how are people connecting the dots? Why have I been questioned this many times? You know, in the short span of months. But he's not the only one connecting the dots because the police is finally on his trail too as well, right? When somebody mentions the name Richard in the connection to a couple of murders at the same time, you kind of have your flags up. You're like, yeah, it's probably the same person. It's the same place. It's a small town. Who is this guy? Also, they're on to his MO, so modus operandi, that he freezes bodies and the cyanide use. So, which one are they going to exploit later? One of his hitmen mates, Danny, actually feared for his life, so he told his wife that he fears of Ridge, and the wife went to the police. Which is, by the way, what you do. You always need to do this. Tell somebody the where, the when, the why, the how. Okay, just at least where and when, okay? So that they can find you. Doesn't matter if you go on a random Tinder date. Hopefully not 
right now during this corona time but hey just tell somebody listen it's an unknown situation this is where i'm at not even like roughly no this is the fucking location okay check in with me in an hour okay don't just leave anybody just being like hey so this is happening this is the most frustrating thing in all of these crime cases if you just like tell somebody like oh i'll tell you about it later no tell them give them all the details now and then you tell them a fucking story later okay and tell them to check in with you so that you are able to tell them that story later so this is when he moves his closest partners which were danny and gary to a motel because he's spooked and he's like no you stay here it was kind of like christmas time as well so it's like no you stay here over this time so that they can't actually turn against him or speak to the police and because they can't actually exit this hotel like on christmas day he, he brings hamburgers to them it's like yeah hey look at this us having a nice feast you know as buddies and while eating those hamburgers so just as gary is chewing this burger richard actually just whispers to him the lyrics to breathe on me by britney spears <laughs> nope nope he doesn't that would be a really sick story though but that definitely does not happen. Also, it's highly inappropriate considering what actually happens. I saw the joke opportunity, had to be done. All hail our warrior Britney, okay? Gary starts convulsing, he actually can't breathe, he's like choking for his life and he just drops dead. So as Richard poisoned him, Danny was unaware of this, but he was now an accomplice to murder basically. So. They just left Gary underneath a motel bed. And actually, there's a fact that 12 people slept on top of it. So, like, slept on that bed before the body was found. Like, did nobody clean the rooms back in the 70s? Like, did nobody just actually look under the bed or, like, I don't know. I don't know, place their suitcases underneath the bed? Like, what are we on about? But now, of course, paranoia doesn't stop King in because he left another person alive. So how can he trust Daddy now? And as you remember, before this whole motel thing, like, Danny's wife went to the police and the police actually finally starts connecting the dots because they don't have his full name, but they always have the name Rich or Richard. So they're like, okay, so there's somebody named Richard that the guy went to the spares stolen goods shop. Then now this guy is again appearing in this case. Then one of his mates is missing. It's like, so Detective Kane connects the dots. Again, cool name, cool name of the detective. On who Big Rich is. And they basically look for the records in every time they have interrogated him. And every time, yeah, Big Rich comes as a name. So they connect the dots. They know it's Richard Kuklinski. So they look at who else was in that gang. And there was a guy named Percy who was already in jail. Percy decides to take a deal and actually give them as much information as possible. However, Percy was in jail for years, this guy's out now, they still don't have any like conclusive evidence to actually get him. In the meantime, Rachel kills Danny, so another loose string is just eliminated from his life. And because paranoia is just like chuku 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 chuku, like a little hamster wheel in his head, he decides he needs to get rid of the freezer guy, whose name was Louis Masguy. Yeah, remember the guy that went into his shop and then he just froze him? Now the coroner, when they actually discovered this guy, again, he made it like really easy for the body to be discovered. So um, the coroner actually finds that it's a bit too perfect. And because they discovered him so early, like his organs were still frozen. They know that he didn't drop just now because how would your organs be frozen? in the middle of the outside world. Right, coroners, right, morticians, this is how it works, right? But also then what what makes me think, like, okay, somebody million this, right? Because if he got away with this before, did he always then just leave them for a substantial amount of time in the outside world for their organs and insides to defrost? Or like, was this like an actually efficient method of killing then? Or was somebody just not checking whether the organs were frozen? Tell me, let me know. <laughs> So now Detective Kane is on his case, basically. He's like, this guy, I just know, you know, I have a hunch. This guy's involved into the freezer killing. This is his MO. And he just, like, starts questioning him at random. And now Richard, of course, who is because we know that he doesn't want to be arrested at home. He doesn't want to bring shame to his family. This is kind of, like, messing up with his life. So his paranoia is, like, chuku 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 kicking in. 
He says like Richard wanted to kill Detective Kane because again, Richard's like first point of call is always to kill a person. Like there's no just there's no second of actually thinking about it. Be like, okay, what would be a reasonable thing to do? It's like when you wake up and you're like, okay, this is my routine. I meditate. Then you know I go log on to work. Or you're like, I'm stressed. What do I do? I go for a walk. That's Richard. Like I'm stressed. What do I do? I get rid of another person. Like there's no like doubt in his mind. It's just like, yep, want to go decision. So they find another loose end which was one of his cyanide suppliers named Phil. Small interlude. I actually wanted to have a corner on cyanide but then I went on to researching it. It was super boring. Chemistry was never my my strong suit. So I was like oh yeah let me have a corner where I explain to people the effects of it and how you can prevent it and all that and well if it's digested you're just bad basically. Can somebody correct me on that? That's sort of my conclusions of it. But, 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 but. Cyanide and Happiness, the YouTube channel, or probably series somewhere as well. I just went down the freaking rabbit hole of just watching that for an hour during researching this. So uh, yeah, highly recommend that. <laughs> you might never learn about sign up, but you are going to laugh your ass off at some inappropriate jokes. I mean, it's kind of like if you laugh at some parts of this podcast, you'll probably laugh at those jokes. Otherwise, you're too normal for that. And the police convinces him to put a wire on him. They're like, okay, you're gonna call Rich, be like, hey, have cyanide, guess what? And like, we need to try to get the intent to kill. So like, he needs to say, I'm going to use this cyanide to kill XYZ person. What happens is Richard actually admits to having used cyanide to kill victims, but hasn't given names. So they're like, kind of going back and forth. But still, Richard has plenty of people that he wants to kill. And by the end, Phil manages to supply him with fake cyanide to kill somebody. And now is when Richard is trapped, but he kind of realizes very last minute, so like he got the cyanide, but he realizes what, what it smelled like. He knew from how many times he has used it, what cyanide smells like. So after being supplied with it, he smells it and he's like, this doesn't smell right. He tries it on a dog because again, he has complete disregard of human and animal life. And the dog just normally walks away and he's like, damn, I've been trapped after this many years. And again, everything is like caught on a technicality because he did give intent to kill and he said he's going to be at that location killing that guy, but they actually catch him at home because he realizes fake cyanide and he's done. So he was like, maybe let me try to save my ass. But nothing works. Police like circles his home. He gets arrested, has three separate trials police finally after 18 months has enough to get him on conspiracy to commit murder and it's just so bizarre that it's actually the murders he committed like on his own accord of his gang members that he gets charged with like not the mob ones it's it's like all of these years of killing just don't count it's kind of like yeah we managed to just get you called for like what you did during the last year when you got sloppy and also begs you to think like if he didn't start killing on his own would he have even been caught like this guy might have continued for like years to come which again when you think about hitman then it seems to be like it's safer actually killing for the mob that kind of gives you at least some protection or you know when i covered benjamin siegel last week kind of gives you that thing where it's like there's no emotional connection and that's exactly why it all works. You know, or how Jorge Ayala was actually caught when he got back to protect Griselda Blanco. And had it not been for that, had it not been for that emotional connection, he might have never gotten caught. So again, not giving advice, not giving advice, have to state it in every freaking episode. But yeah, hey Richard, yeah, you might have wished not to have gotten emotionally involved or been this paranoid after killing for like decades. So he's sentenced for life, but his health starts deteriorating in prison. He was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease, again, cool disease for really morbid fucking symptoms. So it was like inflammation of the blood vessels and he ended up dying of heart disease after 18 years in prison. Yet again, karma wins this case. What I find brilliant is because his health was deteriorating, he in the meantime was divorcing his wife Barbara and he wanted to be resuscitated if he was to die, like in the event he dies in prison. But because his wife signed the power of attorney, she actually signed DNR, like do not resuscitate. And she didn't want to change it. Like he was like, hell yes. So you know how my health is deteriorating? Can you um, change it? And she's like, oh, (laughs) I'm out. What? Sorry, I'm deaf. Can't hear you. Karma, baby. Karma. 
when we get to the background, you'll realize why I'm super happy about this. So, 2005, he dies of natural causes. He was only linked to 19 murders, but he claimed the number is at about 250. Again, as we'll find out, Richard was not the organized kind, so obviously this was never confirmed. It's not like he kept uh, journals and was keeping a tally of them. But yeah, I kind of think that it was more than 19, just because he was that type that um, has had documentaries made about him. He spoke about a lot of these in detail, and you can watch it online and creep yourselves out, because he's a one creepy son of a gun. Let's go and discuss the crimes Richard Kuklinski committed. So about 90% of Richard's crimes actually come from his connection to the Gambino crime family. And this is through his relationship to the mobster Roy DeMeo. He started doing robberies and other assignments for the family, one of which was pirating pornographic tapes. So basically he had this shop and like this was sort of like the business his family thought um, he was doing, which was pirating videos, but then he didn't make much profit out of that, so hey, this family was like, how about you pirate pornographic tapes, that will pay more. <laughs> Does everybody remember the era when you had to like rent movies? Oh my god, this was such a good time. I actually thoroughly enjoyed this time, like when you actually had to go to the shop, you know, you had like your membership card, you were renting out the movies, they looked at you and judged you by the movies that you were renting, and then you go back <laughs> and you watch them. <laughs> And you love it because it's like CDs for VHRs. We lived in great times, okay? People today can't fucking handle being bored during Corona, yo. You had to actually walk to get to the movie shop and get rentals, okay? How would you deal with that now? Little shits, you have Netflix and everything. Okay, Maya losing it at the audience again. But I will never forget, like, I used to do the same with books. So, like, to um, just borrow them from <laughs> the local library. And then one time I didn't return them for like a year. <laughs> because genius got attached to the books, okay? And then I walked in and obviously the subtlety is always my strongest, my best strength, yeah? I walked into the library, I was like, yeah, no, I'm gonna play this cool. Just come in, like maybe pay the fine, but let's, let's try to not pay the fine. <laughs> Maya's way of not paying the fine was to comment how the place has changed. I was like, oh my god, you guys have renovated! And they're like, um... Yeah, nine months ago, I'm like, I love it. I love the walls. I love everything, okay? Like, oh, look at this. How much more effective is this? And the woman actually didn't even charge me the fine. She was so entertained. You see, this is one way. <laughs> Play on your biggest strengths. Always. This is also, by the way, a strategy to get away with being bothered in the office. <laughs> While, you know, if you are the unlucky person of working for the office, God, God, listen. I'll do anything. I'll get a funny YouTube channel, okay? I'll do weird shit on YouTube, okay? Just, I just never want to go back to working for the office. Please, okay? This episode is way too religious. I, I'm not that this religious, okay? Point, point of the story. So I will just be in the office constantly, like, complimenting people, like, oh my days. Oh, look at you. Oh, look at you. You had, the, like, you had a haircut. You, you washed your hair. Anything, anything I can grip on. Like, that's a dress. Where did you get that dress? I don't care. I never, like, wear dresses. I'm a fucking tomboy. Don't give a fuck. Because the key is to play to other people's ego, okay? Get them self-consumed. They don't ask you, are you dying inside? They don't. They don't give a fuck. They don't ask you, like, oh my god, like, how are you actually as a human? Are you dying inside? Which I fucking was, okay? Don't let me work for the office again. I'm just faking that I like it here. <sighs> Leave me alone. I'm just stealing free food from the kitchen. <laughs> then you want a conversation. <laughs> Duh. Where the fuck was I in this story? Pornographic tapes. Yes, that's it. Soon, the mafia actually realizes his talent for killing. He stood out amongst his associates, if you can call them that. Because, first of all, he was 6 feet and 5 inches, and he was one chunky bastard of like almost 300 pounds. His first kill was a test by the Mayo. Basically, it was just one day, just um, driving the car around, and the Mayo parks up the car on the street. He selects like a random target, and it's just like a man walking a dog, and just tells Kuklinski, okay, get out and kill him. Without questioning, Kuklinski just gets out, walks towards the man, and as he passes, Asked him, he turned and shot the man in the back of the head. This is how he became the mayor's favorite enforcer, because again, he didn't give a fuck, he was tough, he was a nice man, and this is what you needed to survive in the mafia. But also, they were equally vicious to him, as we know, you know, in the hitman world, yet the honor amongst thieves 
doesn't actually really work because they are all working for the mafia man, and everybody wants the jobs done. So once Richard Kuklinski owed the Gambino family, the mayo and the other guys beat Richard viciously. Like to the point that Richard was actually bedridden. And then he just came up with this strategy where he's like, no, we are actually, let's be business partners. The way I will pay up this debt is you hire me as a hitman and I'm going to collect other people's debts and kill people. And by killing people, we are talking routine calls from the Mayo. So it was just other mafia bosses and whoever actually just wanted to hire a hitman. But people hired Kuklinski more than the others because people would pay double if he would make the target suffer and Richard had no problems with making the target suffer. He would even record them with a tripod and a camera as proof. So now if you're squeamish or you just don't want to be nauseous for the rest of your day, maybe skip for the next 60 seconds to you know two minutes because I'm going to go through some of his worst crimes. So his favorite method of killing was to hand the target like upside down in the woods to well expose some parts of their body as in take their intestines out or just cut them so that they would drip in blood and then the rats would get to them. So basically being eaten alive, which is just the worst, one of the worst. Anything that lets you wait for your death alive is just the worst ways to die. Whether it's being tortured, even if it's just being left to like die alive and just starving or especially if it is like being eaten alive. It's just, it always is, like it always makes an impression on me. You know that movie with Ryan Gosling? I just, I was in, (laughs) I was sweating. My palms were sweating throughout that whole movie. I was like, it's like the most underwhelming movie, but it's also the the most overwhelming movie at the same time. Because he's just a guy in a freaking coffin, just trying to survive the whole movie. But then again, it's just that finger like, this guy is being buried alive. Fuck me. Or that scene in Game of Thrones where Sansa just lets the guy being eaten alive. That was like, ooh, badass. But then you're thinking about it and you're like, this person is being eaten alive by like hungry hounds. Fuck me. Okay, some of his worst crimes. <sighs> God, okay, so feeding the target to the rats, burning the guy's feet. Okay, so there was this guy where like he needed to get information out of him. So he burned like, like one foot. He was like, this is just gonna get worse. He burns another foot. Then he burns his balls off. And just before like he confessed to what he has done, he was about to like burn his dick off and this was the limit for the guy. This was like, no. Which is, I don't understand any of this because he would end up killing the guys just for the pleasure of other people and for him to get paid double. Then there was another guy where he didn't implement burning, but he apparently, because of his strength and his power, he ripped guys' balls off. Then he ripped his dick off and started like cutting small parts of his body. Okay, now Richard, not even fucking toy box killer did this shit, okay? A fucking... Parkeray, okay, who had a trailer where he tortured women. Not even he would like rip parts of the body out and cut people off, okay? You are worse than fucking toy box killer. This is next level, Richie, okay? You can't just go back home and pretend like, oh yeah, I love my wife. And pretend like you di- just didn't rip like someone's balls off with your bare hands. Also, also, when I listened to these stories and actually read about them online, not 100% sure how true this is, okay? What level of strength do you need? This kind of sounds to me like, you know, the rock in Fast and Furious or Hobbs and Shaw, that helicopter scene where he's like apparently with his bare hands moving a whole helicopter. Sorry, but what strength, like what unnatural strength do you need to have to, without any tools, just rip someone's genitals off? Do we believe this? Do we, guys? Again, just... Oh my god, it's like as if it's not enough that you ripped his genitals off. It was just like peeling little parts of his body again to like get the rats and the animals to go and eat him alive. Then there was another guy where he cut the guy's stomach out, pulled in intestines out and pushed him into the sea, like almost like half dead, for the sharks to obviously get to his intestines and eat him alive. (laughs) My next line is again, how do you do this and think you're a great heterosexual? It's just one of those things where, again, I mentioned, like, you just do this and you continue with your life and you're like, yep, nope, this is my great accomplishment of the day. Like, how do you go and trip that you are actually, like, gonna, like, please your wife and sleep with your wife after this? Please, you just ripped, like, multiple guys' dicks off. Just whenever people do this nonsense, I'm like, I can't. How do you go back to your life and you're like, yep, this was it. 
Mm. What did you do? Oh, there's records in the camera. No, 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 no. I'm definitely heterosexual. I love it. I love vagina. Okay, there's obviously multiple things on Richard Osman online. One of those being an HBO documentary. I tried to watch about 15 minutes of and then I was like, I cannot do this in my life. I cannot do that. I need to get the life. Basically, just... It's him, it's just interviews of him just questioning him about different crimes. But he's just his composure. He's telling it like, it's, you know, hey, I woke up and I ate cereal today. That's it. That's his indifference towards it. Not just indifference, but he has multiple times where he just chuckles. He just has this, like, smirk and smile. And he just chuckles, like, probably thinking about what he has done and bringing him such a great memory. One moment in particular when I was like, oh my god, because he says... He wasn't sticking around to watch them die. They basically asked him something like, oh, you know, how long would it take you basically to get them to the point of death? And he just like, wasn't sticking around to watch them die. And that just goes back to like serious retelling of the story. Like nothing happened. It just definitely like those memories brought him some insane pleasure. Some like insane fucking happiness. It just pisses me off so much. Also, if you watched, what's that movie called? Yeah, if you watch The Iceman... By the way, if you watch The Iceman before doing the research or before listening to this podcast, you kind of have a completely different picture of Richard Kuklinski, just because it kind of shows him as a family man, which you will find out again in a few minutes. I'll definitely bring it to you. He definitely was not. So it's kind of like factually very incorrect as a movie. Like, I really liked it because, again, it has Winona Ryder and, you know, everything that has Winona Ryder is just golden. But you know, one thing that I wanted to mention is the scene, I think it's with James Franco, the one where it's like the guy starts begging to God. In the interview, like for the age of the documentary, Kuklinski actually confessed that he only regretted one murder, which he deemed particularly cruel. Like, you have heard what this guy has done. This is the murder he deemed cruel. Because as he was about to kill a man, the man began praying to God for his life. And Kuklinski was just like, okay, cool. Let's give your God 30 minutes to save you. But once the time is up, you would be killed. And it's just like the forcing the man to wait for 30 minutes for his demise just struck him as the most sadistic murder. Just think about this and like what he said again in the HBO documentary where like he was like, yeah, I didn't stick around to to watch them die. I think that this is why he found it the most sadistic because he actually had to like sit with the man basically just waiting for his death and being like, yep, and I killed him. It's that power that he was getting off on. And finally, when it comes to crimes, like, we can't neglect the freezing of the bodies as the modus operandi of a lot of them. So this is where Mr. Softy comes into play. And I think the movie The Iceman actually plays this really well, because just from his own descriptions of how he met Mr. Softy as well. So he spots this, basically, ice cream truck on, on the street, like, for multiple days. And it's kind of like both of them are eyeing each other out, because they spotted immediately then the, the other one is a hitman as well. He, like, spoke to him. It was Robert Prongy. I think the guy in the movie says, like, it's either my lucky day or it's my last day on Earth. And Richard is like, woo, it's your lucky day. And then there he realizes that Prongy is into explosives and murder. And basically they start sharing, like, murder tips and tricks. Prongy introduces him to cyanide as he was supplying it. And then he starts mentioning, obviously, the most effective ways to kill somebody with cyanide. But he also tells him, like, hey, if you want to, like, actually deceive the police, freeze the body... And the police would never figure out the time of death, which is how Richard actually started doing this when it was more of a personal murder or when people would come to to his shop, whether it's stolen goods or whether it was the pirate movie's shop. Just imagine, like, there's a freezer delivery and you're like, hey, you kind of have a lot of freezers delivered to this address, dude. What is that all about? It's like, aren't you aren't you selling pornographic movies? He's like, yeah. It's like, should we call the police, mate? No, of course not. Like, this is totally not the most suspicious fucking thing ever. Okay, let's finally describe why Richie was the way he was and go into his background. So, as you might have figured out from his last name, Richard Kuklinski was from a Polish population. (laughs) What? From the Polish background. So he was born in 1935 in Jersey City. His dad immigrated from Poland, was like a hard-working, you know, Eastern European son of a gun. Mom was brought up in an orphanage and she has been beaten by nuns. So her mama's parents died before she was even 10. 
She met his dad, Stanley, as a teenager, and she just went from like bad to worse. Of course, his childhood is like hell on earth. His dad, Stanley, was an abusive alcoholic. He would beat everybody in the family. Richard would be beaten as punishment for pissing his pants in the fear of his own dad. Nothing was working into his favor. And then Anna, his mom, would face the wall and pray for them as she was a devoted Catholic. Again, going back to that scene where his own way of seeing the most sadistic murder as being somebody praying to God. I think this is where it came from because it's that kind of thing like God didn't help my mom, Danny didn't help my dad stop beating me. So God is definitely not going to help you. So I think like it's that thing stemming from the childhood. Of course, not a psychologist here, but pretty sure that this has had some impact onto that murder. So there's a lot of records saying that either that his dad definitely killed his brother by like smacking him into the head too hard, so his brother Florian. But then there's records saying that Richard witnessed this and this has had massive impact onto him. Not just because he witnessed the murder, but now he knew that he will receive twice the amount of beatings that he did before. Not just this, but like they also sent Richard to a Catholic school where he would get beatings from the nuns because he was dyslexic. So he would be using like his finger to uh, help him in reading. So they would like beat his fucking fingers and knuckles. Also there, he was teased by bullies. So he had no friends from the early age, as I mentioned. This is when he started displaying the usually the normal common <laughs> common McDonald's triad common within serial killers so his favorite hobby started being torturing animals what a lovely human being just next line again trigger warning trigger warning he would incinerate a cat and watch it burn also he would set a dog on fire it's again he just did not care what pet it was so we have pissing his pants we have arson and we have like torturing animals full full concept everything building up richie into a perfect serial killer i put it's never a phase because it never is okay it's never just a phase that they grow out of oh people did we not did we not learn anything so he wouldn't get any pleasure out of it he was just actually curious to see how it will make him feel or to see if he can find out what was wrong with him. Now, Stanley abandons his family, which might have been a good thing if, like, Richard was like a baby, right? But no, Stanley abandons his family once the damage is fucking done. So Richard actually resorts to stealing to support the family. And he takes to true crime magazines as he was interesting in the New Jersey's underworld. So now, as we know, this is when these interests develop and it's for you to decide what you do with it, you see? You can be like me when I was 14. Oh, this is fascinating, but in a really creepy way. Or you can be like, oh, let's discover more about this and see how I can use it to murder people myself. So when he was 14 is also when he was beaten, like the bullying finally escalated and he was beaten by the neighborhood gang that was led by this guy Charlie. So he was beaten that badly that he was actually bedridden for weeks and he knew not to report it to the police. So what he does is once he can get out of the bed he stalks this main boy's routine. So he just stalks Charlie, figures out his routine and then strikes him with a wooden pole. But like he was in a proper frenzy where he like beat him that hard and he was just like, okay, cool, now I'm done. And he realizes Charlie doesn't have a pulse anymore. Richard's quote about this crime is, quote, it was then I learned it was better to give than to receive, end quote. Again, proud heterosexual Richard fucking Huklinski, okay? See, you wish he applied this to, like, sexual pleasure with other people. No, he applied it to fucking beating the shit out of his wife and everybody else. Dickhead. Now, so he drops out of school pretty early, as usual. You know, finally drops out of school, as I had said in one of the episodes. Like, oh, he was 14, was done with it. This actually reminds me, I have one cousin, this borderline criminal. Listen, it's not a proud moment in my family, but basically we were having, I think it was like Christmas, <laughs> lunch or something. This guy was like, well, what do I need from school? Like, he's like, literally, it was 11. <laughs> he's like, I learned how to write. I learned how to like write and read. What else do I need? And we were all like, oh my God, this is not gonna end up well. <laughs> literally, this kid does not want to pass grades. He does not want to stay in school. Yeah, not to mention he is still in school, but yeah he probably <laughs> won't want to go to high school. Anyways, this that was just the most bizarre moment. So like, yeah, this is why I'm always like, finally, they dropped out of school, man. This is the best decision they could have made, right? No. 
Now is when he has his own gang called Coming Up Roses because whoever messed with them ended up fertilizing flowers. Still, could you not have thought about a more badass name? No. And there was this Italian mafia member, the Calvo, who would employ them for petty crimes even though they weren't Italian. But now another mafia boss told him that he can't control his friends as they messed up like some gambling, some gambling card game for the mafia bosses. So Richard has to kill his friends as they try to kill these mafia bosses. So now he is out of work and he is out of friends. What does he do? Healthy habits? Healthy habits? Yeah, routine? Page one? Nope. Nope. He starts drinking and gambling. And this is when he can't control his anger anymore and he is unleashing it onto no one else but homeless people. Because he learned that as it's a homeless person, nobody knows them, nobody cares about them, like nobody will go looking for them. So it was the fact that it was homeless people, but also the precincts at that time didn't communicate, which is why it took them so long to catch this guy in the first place. Now, he meets a girl named Linda, and he moves in with her, has two kids with her. She's just, like, not mentioned as much in, in any publications, because he actually didn't care much about her. Like, he would still beat her up, she still got the beatings, just like his dad uh, beat his mom, but he never left her, and I put a luckily for her. <laughs> because we're gonna find out what Richard does once he actually loves a person. So regardless of him not loving her, you don't just go sleep with his wife. So Linda was kind of cheating on him. And he found out, he went to the location where they were, he beat her lover up, and then, again, again, skip this part if squeamish, he cuts her nipples off. Listen. This is why I cannot mess with, like, people in fucking serial killers, man. You can't just... Just cut it out. Don't, like, cut people's sensory parts off. Like, fuck me, man. This is when we completely lose touch of what happened to Linda. Like, she was still alive, he didn't kill her, etc. But we just completely, yeah, forget that Linda and his other kids exist. This is when he finds a job in a trucking company. He meets 18-year-old Barbara. And was, you know, a complete, like, wow, complete romantic, picking her up, you know, trying to court her, trying to get her to get out with him. But when she finally, she's like, I'm not feeling this guy, like, she tells him she needs a break from him. What he does is he pulls up a knife, stabs her in the back, like, without her even feeling the stab. And he just tells her that she is his property. Like, he threatens to kill her whole family if she speaks up. And he's like, no, you're basically gonna be my wife if you want it or not. So this is the part that is really misrepresented in the movie, as I mentioned, because in the movie it shows like, oh, he's a lovely family man, loves his wife and kids. Nope, he was a fucking asshole. He was beating this woman up. This is also every paranoid person's nightmare, okay? Slash me. Slash my own nightmare. She's just being stalked and just not being able to do anybody with like a creep that's just following you around. How do you even get to protect yourself? Like, how do you even try to like save your own ass when you realize something like that but you can't actually prove it? So, of course, he gets married to Barbara because Barbara is petrified. Now he has fresh start, he's working for the film processing lab. It's like apparently legal work, but as I mentioned, it won't bring him enough money, so he's gonna start a pirate business. He had some kidney issues, so he, this is where he started a pirated reels of movies to support his medical bills. And he gets into Gambino family because he starts pirating adult films and distributor worked for them. Now, in the meantime, he was having first, second and third child, so he has to stop this arduous work and just opens his own porn production studio. So we have, as his wife says, we have a good Richie and a bad Richie. So we have a guy who is like famous for his barbecues, woo, neighbor man, you know, like family man, has his three kids, you know, loving life and beating his wife, but yeah. And then we have like a bad Richie who's like immediately leaves his household, sells pornography and then starts killing people. Also, we have the quote from Barbara that she never actually knew what he was doing because she just wanted to prevent herself from getting any more beatings, so she never asked questions. You just imagine living again in a household like that. It's just what I mentioned last week, never fucking ignore a domestic fight if you hear one. Let's try to save somebody from like living in hell. Yeah, just imagine you have to go back to a house and not being able to like ask somebody where they have been or what they're doing because it will cause a beating, yeah? 
yeah, let's think happy thoughts, okay? Just to end this background thing, he had a favorite child because, of course, of course he did, like, healthy family relationships, Richard knew how to do it. His child Merrick was his favorite because, basically, this kid had, like, some health problems when they were a child, so Richard would bring them to the hospital, like, bring them to their bedside, and... He was just caught speaking to a toddler and saying that if he was to kill his whole family and his wife, he'd need to kill them all, but Merrick would be the hardest to kill. Just imagine passing by as like a nurse and just listening to this conversation be like, that sounds uh, great, uh, confession, let's record this. Prevent, imagine, imagine just preventing this thing from the get-go. But no, he goes on to fucking hang people from the trees and let rats eat them, so great. Of course, to end this, because Richard loved the talk, I compiled some of his most famous quotes together, so uh, let's dive into that. Okay, quotes, let's go. My friend, there's more than one way to do it. There's more than one way to skin something. Yeah, that's just the beginning, they're just diving in. Mm-hmm. Next quote. Assassin, it sounds so exotic, the hitman replied with a hint of amusement and a small smile. That's from the HBO documentaries, that, that smirk that he had. Then his face turns serious. You see, this is what I'm on about. Because he just goes from like one extreme to the next. Creep. Quote, I was just a murderer. Okay, okay, okay. Third quote. I've never felt sorry for anything I've done, other than hurting my family. I do want my family to forgive me. Last one. <clears throat> I'm probably the loneliest person in the world because I have nothing I care for and I can't make any friends to have any kind of relationship or so I've lost everything. I've lost everything I ever cared for. Everything I ever wanted. It's down the toilet. Okay. Since there is no love in my life, I must have something to replace it. So I replaced it with hate. Just this guy. You're kind of like, okay, I almost feel sorry for you and they're like, "Mm mm-mm. No. You had your choices. You had your choices. Richard. So, now that we have everything, compilation of this gruesome nonsense, what were his motives? Fight me on this, you know where to find me on this, but as a primary motive, I put hatred towards his dad. We have seen it so many times, so it's like that nurture, that bringing up, and childhood, but most of it, what spurred it, was hatred towards his dad. Because he wouldn't kill women, he wouldn't kill children, like he would beat up women, so that's again what he has picked up from his dad, but he couldn't kill that in like himself, so he was killing it in other people, okay? Are there words to describe this, like proper words in psychology? Probably. Now, people that actually interviewed him, like the doctors and psychologists that interviewed him, said that he inherited antisocial personality disorder from his parents, and the abuse he claims to have suffered from his father reinforced violence activities requiring a lack of conscience and lack of love. Deeds also stated that Kuklinski suffered from paranoid personality disorder, which caused him to kill people for minor slights and criticisms, often long after they occurred. So it's that thing where it's like, you sit on it, you stir it in your mind, you're like, yep, yeah, I will get back to you, mm-hmm, this will, this will get back to you, yeah. That was, uh, as we have seen, his MO. Again, it stemmed from the fact that he never could actually kill his dad, he never had that revenge that he probably desperately wanted. But also, I think, like, why he kept beating women is, again, because he saw that his mom has never done anything to, like, actually escape this dad. So, like, women probably deserve it because if they actually managed to do something, you know, I wouldn't have had that shitty childhood in the first place. Right? I'm just speculating here. And then I put, again, it was that plus the mixture of, like, secondary motive, which is that he was a sociopath because of what he alluded to with that God scene and also how like he saw his mom during the childhood so I think that was a trigger which then ended in protecting women and kids so that's why I don't think he was a psychopath as such because as we know the most important causes of sociopathy in contrast with psychopathy lie in physical or emotional abuse or severe trauma experienced during childhood so put it simplistically, psychopaths are born and sociopaths are made. And I think that's a crucial difference here, that Richard Kuklinski was made to be who he was. That's the case. Let me know, email me, hit me up on Twitter. What do you think? Do you agree with me? Do you disagree? Did you just love this mess of a case? And we move on. We move on with our life. We delete it from our brain.
sources for this podcast have been Kingpins by Parcast, Time Psych with Dan Cummins. I love Dan Cummins, man. He's like the most intense human ever. Quote Catalog, which is where I got all the lovely quotes. All That's Interesting, which you know how much I love this website in terms of research. And uh, finally, of course, of course, the best of all, Wikipedia. <sighs> Probably has the most detailed input of like all of the murders by one person that I've ever seen Wikipedia have. Give some love, give it up to Wikipedia. We move on. We live, laugh and love. Okay, I'm gonna try to do something I haven't done before, okay? Try to have the fucking outro that doesn't last over five minutes, okay? Fastest outro ever. Listen, first of all, what have we learned this month? Analyzing Hitman murders. Well, first of all, karma is a bitch. We learned that pretty much in every case. Second of all, this is a bunch of nobodies who are just hired and they want some respect and they want to be somebody in the world. So, usual motivations were ambition and respect. And, well, that got them because, because, again, not advice, but every time they would get involved in the personal mission, that's when they would get discovered, okay? So, not advice for Hitman out there, but this is what got every single one we spoke about. And in all cases, but Kuklinski, actually, they died from their own modus surprendi their own way of killing because again karma motherfuckers richard just died of heart failure because he was borderline obese it's just such a painful thing like no you get to serve a fucking life sentence where other people are gonna mock you and torture you and like fucking put some fear into you because you are a fucking monster who pretended to be like oh cool heterosexual every time okay short short and snappy maya short and snappy Tell me if I missed out on something, okay? So if I missed out on any motives that you see that I haven't, you know, any other patterns, I am very available for discussion. Because <laughs> basically, what else do I have to do? Okay, so that where you let me know about that, at that band pod on Twitter, or you join Patreon, that band pod as well, where we discuss everything, and you have another hitman, Alexander Solonik, covered there for this week in a little mini-sode. Or you just go old-fashioned style, because I fucking love emails, okay? That's the only thing that's keeping me in customer service. Well, that and the money. But yeah, customer service. <laughs> Emails. Maya loves getting an email. Podban at gmail.com. Okay, now, rapid fire recommendations. They're gonna be airplane based. Are you ready? First one is a podcast. It's called Black Box Down. It's basically just covering wherever something on the plane went wrong. So, like some big cases. Well, they only have one episode. I don't know what's in their heads. <laughs> what they want to cover. But it's basically like plane accidents and why did it go wrong and what could have they have done better and what did they learn from it, all that stuff. So it's kind of like true crime, history, all of that mixes. But yeah, it's the true crime we needed, okay? Somebody needed to make this podcast. Also, I just love immediately. I recommended this even just when the trailer was released because I just sensed the sense of humor, which is just, yeah, we are in a horrible situation. We are going to make jokes about it. This is how we get through it. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is what I do. This is what we all do, guys. This is why true crime comedy is a thing. Okay, second, come on, quickly, come on. Now, this is for you guys who have been waiting for like some blast of the past recommendations. One of my favorite movies out there, 1980s movie called Airplane. It's just the best thing. It was kind of like a family thing that we rewatched this movie every fucking year. And again, it's just the sense of humor is is next level. Also. <laughs> This is the movie where the genius quote, I take it black like my man comes from, which, come on, if that isn't relatable to me, if I haven't used that, like, in relation to anything from coffee to beer to, to anything, it's just genius. Just watch the movie. Now, the further recommendation. Okay. The logic here is, when were the planes used in the war? What was the most famous war? World War. <laughs> who participated? Who was the villain in the World War? Nazis. So, and Frank's Diary. <laughs> Possibly not the best recommendation for the quarantine thing, but yeah, I'm listening to that audiobook. And then I subscribe to his newsletter online as well, because there's a museum in Amsterdam, which I probably plan to go first thing after this freaking quarantine ends. Just the positivity around all of this is just great. Okay, I can't end on this note. (laughs) Well, sorry, my time that I put on myself, there's a limit here. Is running out, so uh, you're gonna have to deal with some anfrag. Keep your eyes peeled on Twitter because there's a poll running now. You choose the cases I cover. Well, I chose the topic, okay? <laughs> then you choose the cases that I cover for next month. And next week, I'm not bringing you a Hitman case. I go rogue for the last week of the month because I can't deal, okay? We have enough with Hitman. You know, Richard Kuklinski win. Fuck it, I've had enough of like people hanging from the trees. So instead, I bring you a case that's really, really close to my heart, okay? So 
um, I loved researching for it. I loved speculating on it. And um, yeah, that's gonna be that for the spoilers. So I'll cyber see you all next Monday. Only on the same wavelength. Yeah. I don't see you, you don't see me, but you just listen to this lovely fucking voice. And until then, keep making the world a better place. One motive at a time. Bye, fuckers.